Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum. Hello, beautiful listeners. Welcome to your least favorite podcast. I am super thrilled to introduce to you an all-new series that puts a spotlight on the young Muslim journey here in North America. If that's something that intrigues you, stay back, reflect, share, and you know the rest. Tag, do what you gotta do. For the first episode, I am more than honored to have host Badruddin. Um, thank you for correcting me and that how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank you for having us on. Thank you for joining me. So firstly, we're gonna start light. I'm gonna hit you with a hard hitting questions later, but um who are you? What are you? Why do you do it? So on. A little briefing of who you are. Oh man. I thought you said you're gonna start light. <laughs> so asking me my entire life purpose, okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, my name is Tadhar Rafiq. Um, I am a college student at USC in Southern California. Um, that's kind of just basic who I am. And then going deeper into that, I think um, I'm someone like who growing up as a Muslim didn't really understand what I was believing in. And I didn't really kind of have an idea of like bridging like, you know, the knowledge that Islam was teaching us along with like how I'm supposed to act on it and then also like what kind of struggles I go through and how to connect all that back to like the spiritual aspect of like feeling like Allah is on my side and like you know that's all I need to get through life and you know it was difficult doing that because there's so many things that we do nowadays as young individuals whether that's sports or like arts or school and just there's a lot of things in this world and life yeah life in general and like alhamdulillah like we're in a location and a like level of privilege where we don't have to deal with a lot of the things that could be very, very uh, difficult to like, get through. Like, and I'm talking about real difficulty, like not to invalidate anyone's experiences, but like we don't have to fight for survival, for example, right? And that's something me and Brother Dean we, uh, we're privileged to have. And so um, because of that, you can often, like we, I felt like I was getting lost in, you know, the world and the dunya. And um, yeah, and over time I've gotten a good balance of both and I've learned how to use my deen to progress further in the things in the dunya while making it a form of ibadah so that, you know, I am accomplishing what I am supposed to do as a Muslim um, in all aspects and the venues of my life. So that's the, uh, my purpose, if you can <laughs> quantify it to that, but that is my purpose, I think, um, that I've come to like now understand. Yeah, thanks. So. Bro, I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Very humble. Very humble. <laughs> it's not like I practiced it before. <laughs> All right. Uh, not to inject into your podcast, later, but every time we talk about Islam on our podcast, we start off with a little dua kind of thing uh, just to start off and make sure that there's barakah in our Please, conversation. Please, I would love that. Thank you. All right. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, All right. Let's get started. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. My name is Bandar Adin Muhammad. I am also a student at uh, USC. Uh, I'm a sophomore, so when you're younger than Talha. Um, what else? Uh, going deeper into it. See, Tala came prepared. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know how to prepare. I didn't know there was homework on this podcast. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, I, so I grew up in, I was born in Wisconsin, moved to North Carolina, moved to Oregon, but I grew up most of my life in California around the Pasadena area. If y'all know where that is, pretty cool area, the Pasadena. Um, and growing up, I, I was in California since fifth grade. So all throughout my life, alhamdulillah, I've had parents that have encouraged me to study Islam, uh, that have encouraged me to pursue my intellectual curiosities around Islam and surrounding being Muslim and what that is. Uh, I went to Masajid, I prayed in Masajid, I went to activities and things like that. But um, I think just my progression, I, uh, we talked about this on our podcast too, but like, I always knew that something was right or wrong, but like contextualizing it and then also seeing what other people like Dal has said, like life is quote unquote hard-ish in America, but like obviously not as hard as like other countries, but the hard part is seeing everyone else, quote unquote, having fun or quote unquote, being more joyful than you are uh, in America, especially growing up in, I, I went to public school. So in public school, like people are doing things that in as Muslims, you might not want to do, uh, depending on what uh, what things, how practicing you are, that kind of stuff. But uh, just contextualizing that and realizing that like, this isn't a punishment, this is a test. This is, I want to do this. I want to put these restrictions and inhibitions and control and self-control on, on myself. Um, yeah, uh, not as weird as the husband. No, I love both your answers. And just to add to that, um, to willingly put in those boundaries and those obstacles that Islam has put in for us 
to protect us, of course, not to make our life miserable. It, it becomes easier to do it then if you're willing to do it. If yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick. Once again, <laughs> your name. How do you pronounce it? Badr Adin. Badr Adin. I wanted to ask Badr, you real quick. Badr and then Adin of Islam. Okay, that's beautiful, mashallah. Did you ever whitewash your name growing up? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you found me on Instagram, but in my Instagram bio, I have a whitewashed version of my name just to help all the white people uh, and all the American people. <laughs> okay, so in preschool, I got called Bad Rudin. Uh, I was bad and I was rude, and I was Bad Rudin. That was my name. Uh, and then I think <laughs> going into going into elementary school, uh, it was Bad Rudin. That's just like they just try to phonetically pronounce it as a uh, like a sheep. Uh -huh. And then Din, because like my name is spelled not how it's pronounced, it's D A D R U. So yeah. D R U is like Guru, so that's why people came up with it. Alhamdulillah, I sort of figured it out after 18 years of experimentation, but now I do better uh, Dean, which is close to better Dean. It's closer, it's closer. I'm controlling the narrative here. I just try to tell people. Uh, so I go like better, like this is better than that, uh, like the filler word, Dean, like the Dean of the school. So better a Dean. I love that. Uh, I like, love how you make it into a positive um, uh, kind of way so they can pronounce it um so you guys actually fast-tracked all my questions about like growing up in america your journey with islam childhood i will ask right. you this how was islam presented to you was it presented formally was it presented positively was it something where you had to be god-fearing and only god-fearing or was it something where you have a relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it can be a beautiful one how was that brought up to you in growing up i guess this too Dad passes too, for sure, 100%. I'm almost up there. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So humble. But, uh, yeah, this is this is actually, like, this is a great question because, I, I like, this. I have thought about this many times over. I'm like, and it's something we should have probably addressed on our podcast too because it's very important to, like, understand, like, how you were introduced to Islam because that directly affects kind of, like, the struggles you go through. For example, someone who was introduced, like, through a lens of, like, you know, fear right like i know there's a lot of like this is some some people i know who grow up learning like you know uh hellfire this that you know that's all that's all they know like everything is like a test like you know like it's um you fail it you're going to you're going to hell right and that's like the extent of it and on the other hand um i think my experience was a bit more like nuanced like it was like i went to sunday school so i did have five years of like some kind of education where i was taught about like you know sometimes life you know, like all the other like Islamic aspects, like kind of a general gist. And then on top of that, also like, um, like Quran classes and such. Mm -hmm. But I never had it forced down my throat. Like even at one point in my life, like um, in my Quran class, because I used to do it early in the morning because that was the only time that worked for me. I would sometimes like fall asleep. And I'm, I'm not kidding. It was just me and my brother and the teacher, right? But the teacher would never get on my head about anything. Like he was kind, he was respectful, and he understood I wasn't exactly vibing with the whole Islam thing, and, like, I was devoting more attention to, like, sports, etc. And so I, he never gave me the perception of, like, oh, like, wake up, like, you're not doing your work. And my parents knew, too, but they never got on my head either too much. And um, essentially, like, that, it never made me hate Islam because people because people wouldn't make me hate it, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, like, problem I had with it was really just derived from um, I don't see like the natural purpose in it, right? So when I started looking into the natural purpose, I didn't have to deal with like hate towards religion. Um, and that's definitely just one aspect. But so I did grow up like with the perception that this isn't, uh, I never saw it like truly as like a super like amazing, beautiful thing. And I never saw it as a super like, you know, like religion that was meant to like just like constrict life. And like, if you didn't do it right, then you would go to hell. So I was like in a very like flat lined kind of area. Like it was a gray zone. It was just like, there's nothing beautiful about it. There's just kind of like rules that are if there. If it's there, it's and, there. If it's not, okay. Yeah, that's how I perceived it. But, you know, that's kind of been adapted. And so like, what I understand of it now is kind of how we were saying, like, yeah, it's a test, but these things are to protect you. But then now it's one step further. It's like, not only do they protect you, but they beautify the things that can come from the protection, right? So like the biggest example of that, that where people like graze over, or maybe they have in their heads. And that's a very popular example, in my opinion. It's like the whole concept of like marriage, right? Because like dating is a big thing here. So it's like if you date 
end of the world going to hell. But if you think of it like this, hey, if you don't date, if you restrict yourself from that, you protect and conserve a lot of things. You don't go through emotional trauma. You don't go through emotional damage. Both of us are quantitative biology students too. So like I'm very into the psychology aspect of things too. And so I'm just hippie sitting, crunchy. not hippie crunchy, <laughs> but like, uh, like I do research in like a, like, a, like a lab that does this kind of stuff as well. And just, it's like, if you preserve those things, then when you're ready to give that away, you're able to do it at a much more beautiful and like, amazing scale and you're also desensitized like you're not desensitized to a lot of things mm -hmm. so like it was finding that connection that hey i'm not only protecting myself right now but i'm making things more beautiful when it's supposed to happen yes. right so that that's where i settled on now but that's the way i think it should be perceived but um yeah growing up it was like very in the middle gray matter kind of zone so your answer is very interesting because i feel like that has something to do with your gender and not to make everything about gender but do you feel like almost the pressure wasn't on you because of you being a male and not needing to be the primary teacher to maybe your future children? Yeah, so my mom is a very dominant person. Um, she runs our household and I'm not like exaggerating when I say that because um, that was I think the sole purpose my dad married her. Like she, he had, he had like looking at a couple different people and he was just like, this woman's gonna literally like leave my family, right? So. He picked her and she has two sons. So obviously I can't tell what she would have done if it was a daughter, but she, I will say this, the times I messed up and when they knew in high school and such, yeah, we had to get, I had to get lectured at, yeah, there might be some like arguments and fights, like that stuff happens. But above all else, she would like, she would pray, right? She would make the wall like 24 seven. It's not that she didn't hold me accountable, right? So things that were like straight off off of regulations, like I would get yelled at, like I would be like, this is like discipline, like they would get on my head. I faced a lot of repercussions in that way as well. Um, but it was because they never framed it as like, you're doing the wrong thing Islamically, you're going to go to hell kind of thing, right? They framed it as you're doing something that isn't like going to lead to you to having a good life. And I was always questioning how do you know what's going to lead to a good life, right? But they refused. I mean, they they brought us onto it. They were like, but they didn't dive too deep into it because they knew if they brought it into into my like aspect, I'd start hating the religion too, mm -hmm. right? So they kind of they let me figure things out, but they were there to guide me. And um, I think gender might definitely play a role, hundred percent. Like it's it's without a doubt like something that you can't like exactly absolve entirely. You can't just say okay, like because my parents did this, they would do the exact same thing with the daughter, right. but. Um, I think if you have the right kind of like um, perception on how to raise your kids, right? You're gonna do what's most appropriate for them at the time. And my parents did not do the same things for my brother. They did different things that he needed. So it was not like, you know, one size fits all. Size fits all. Mm -hmm. So obviously if I was a daughter, it would have been a little bit different. Now would it have been more strict or loose or whatever? I don't know. I don't know the nuances. But yeah, I was a lot more loose. My brother, my brother was a little bit more strict on him, but he didn't need the strictness. Like, I don't understand why that happened, but it was just the way that it progressed and you know you're the older that, brother or he's the older brother i'm the older brother so oh, my younger older, yeah you're an older brother too right yeah i have two younger two younger brothers yeah okay so yeah please this yeah. the general gist is like things are like this are so nuanced yeah and i personally yeah. I, I i never felt like my gender played a role because my parents did it on an identity basis so it was who i was right so well maybe yeah i for you but yeah. I, I do know that like in contemporary society especially south asian society uh most mm. the muslim community i will say my parents are outliers like they yeah. put me his parents are very crazy <laughs> yeah like never had an emphasis on like like school wise i wasn't the greatest student my brother is like amazing also so he's like a ivy league kid like crazy awesome guy but like i i was never big into school so they put me into sports like they let me experiment mm. with that like they were fully like you can pursue a career in this if you'd like to and i chose not to but just contextualizing, I think your parents were a little bit more of the progressive end when it comes to the secular mm -hmm. studies. And, yeah, when it comes to secular yeah, studies and just understanding like what, success, is, what is success. Yeah, and their, val their value in life was essentially like yeah. taking something that you're really good at, you know, yeah. transfer that to other aspects of your life. And then that's making really healthy to like do it in an identity um, yeah. and personalized uh, approach than really like gender because that makes a whole mess as yeah. you can see how north america is yeah but you yeah. can also ask about Adin because i think he has a different perspective yeah, on it my perspective is very unique like it's very very different so yeah. it's very very different uh both in good and not bad ways but just different ways um okay well, what was your original question again before the gender one 
Um, growing up, how was Islam presented to you? Was it a positive light or was it more fear-bearing? Um, okay, so my parents, they came from India, uh, not Pakistan. So not a very, not a Muslim country. Uh, so it wasn't, Islam wasn't big in the country itself, but it was big in their communities. But even then, I mean, just anthropologically, uh, cultures influence each other. So when Islam is growing in Pakistan, it's growing on top of Islam exponentially. Versus when Islam grows in uh, India, it's growing on top of Hinduism exponentially, which means there can be some trickle-down effect, trickle-up effect, I guess, in this case, uh, of Hinduism and certain certain practices that are not considered correct in Islam, um, things like going to graves, worshiping idols at graves, things like that. So that was, that was in... That was part of their community, some some of those practices in India. My parents came to America, however, uh, they got into a Muslim community uh, in Wisconsin, I guess. So I was born in Wisconsin. That's where they, that's where the, that was their first Muslim community. And they, they were, it was a little bit of a culture shock for them because like, this was not the Islam that they grew up with. Um, like some people make a kind of a joke or a stereotype that like in America, there's a lot of Islam, but no Muslims. And in, uh, in uh, there's Muslim countries, a lot of Muslims, but no Islam. It's a joke. It's no, not, no, 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 it's not a no. so it, yeah, it was a news reporter who said they came to America and they saw a ton of... No, they saw a ton of Muslims. Not that. Okay. They oh. came to America, they right. saw a few Muslims, yeah. a ton of Islam, uh -huh. and then they went yes, to yes, a Muslim yes. country, saw a ton of Muslims, but not that much Islam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get to that. Don't... Just wait. That's a generalization. Um, But anyway, uh, so my parents... They found Islam here technically. I mean, it was it, it's not like they converted from Islam. They were still Muslim, and their families back home still in the Shahada, the five pillars, all that kind of stuff. They prayed, they prayed five times a day. My mom definitely was uh, very devout as a child, so she prayed five times a day, all that kind of stuff. But um, growing up, I, I know my parents were okay. Now this, this is where I'm going to bring the gender. So my parents raised me as how most other brown families raised women. So I was not raised like a girl would, would but like what, what people consider a guy to be raised, like a brown guy, a brown Muslim guy, like mm -hmm. going out, like he's, he's chilling, no curfew, got a car at 16, driving around. Uh, now that, that was my life. I was, I was on house arrest. Uh, <laughs> that's how I describe my life. I was, I, literally, you ask anyone here, I'll tell them I was on house arrest. I had no friends outside of school. And even in school, the friends that I did have, they weren't that close. So I wouldn't hang out with them outside of school. I'm the guy, the first time I ever, left school to go somewhere else by myself like whether it be walking or to be left alone somewhere else was uh for red cross so there's a red cross chapter i was part of the american red cross in high school uh did a lot of leadership stuff in that so uh there's a red cross chapter right next to our school so i'd walk you there guys continuously walk. humble bragging throughout this whole thing yeah it's part of our experience it's, yeah it's part of yeah. the reason why i believe we're like this i believe also this is a side note but i believe that muslims who are on social media they center on this like one thing, like that it becomes their identity, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like this is this is you know, this is like my niche, right? I think niches are like Word. absolutely idiotic. <laughs> like it's just like it's like 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 you you can do that, right? But you have to like admit to like all your experiences. You're a cumulative human being. You start yes. selling a niche, like I understand productivity, and people start assigning you as like, oh, this guy knows everything about productivity, so everything he says must be true. And then they start listening to you and they start accepting everything you read. And it's like, you know, where was all that stuff stemmed from is like, if like, say you talk about productivity stuff, there's probably some, some scientific like study that was done mm -hmm. that eventually distilled into like productivity, like, uh, you know, advice. And so then, you know, you, you failure. Lose, you lose. Uh, people don't talk about their failures. Yeah. Not by their, yeah. So, so productivity lose. may come from failure of losing grades or losing a yeah. position, something like that. So talking so, about holistic experiences is important. Yeah. So this is why we talk about this. Our main primary reason for bringing up all our stuff that we usually get experienced in is because like, this is what we went through and this is what, we were in, this is the kind of surrounding that was, et cetera, that we were like. This, fair like, enough. I'll allow through. it. Just brag. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to brag. I get it. One of the other reasons why I in, sometimes intentionally inject these things into it is because I met a lot of Muslims in my community, especially, yeah. who wouldn't do extracurricular activities. Yeah. Simply for the fact that they were Muslim and they thought that being a Muslim meant you have to be very scholarly, you have to be yeah. very quiet, you have to only do science math. So this yeah. is another reason why I intentionally bring this up at a lot of gatherings and it might sound braggy but uh, yeah. the reason why i do is because i know there are young little kids listening to yeah. this guy's muslim he's trying to be practicing and trying to do the right thing but he's also taking on leadership roles and taking and trying to do better in his community we interviewed, or at least some, I tried. We interviewed so someone named ayan and Neha, Neha, um sahil that they're from texas one day played um division one basketball my sister did an mba and now she's in med school as well and then ayan is a division one basketball player like a really good school and um like perfect gpa kid and the reason we talked like about them and about their experiences, we asked them like like 
we think it's very valuable to like express that if we're able to give outlets for Muslim kids to have fun in proper ways and like have them experience life in different ways and stimulate their lives in different ways, mm-hmm. then they'll be less drawn to these other types of things. Because as human beings, we're always trying to battle something. That's the human nature, right? So when you're not given something to survive off of, like say you're given complacency, you're, you're going to find something to stimulate you, right? Now, the question is what that is, is can be dangerous. So um, it's just like something I realized too, like in our Muslim community, like, you know, like people just don't do stuff outside and yeah. honestly you just need to get outside especially now it's in the modern the yeah modern day kids don't go to the park like it's not like safe quote unquote just to go to the park and just have fun with your friends mm-hmm. so you have to put them into organized things so whether that be red cross or like nonprofits or all these stuff that mean brothers are involved in you're outside you're working nine, nine, like in the morning tonight you're not gonna have time to do the things that are the sins yeah. so yeah that's another side thing that's another whole another conversation all right yeah. back to back my to story that. yes yeah. please <laughs> Um, okay, so like I was saying, I was raised as a woman. Just kidding. I <laughs> I was raised like how stereotypically brown girls in Muslim communities are raised, and not how brown guys are raised. Uh, and the reason is my mom did that very deliberately because she she believes in sort of the opposite uh, philosophical way of raising a child that like other brown parents have. She believes that guys need way more uh, oversight than uh, women because she thinks that like she's like, well, if I ever had a daughter, like. She'd, she'd take care of herself. She'd, like, do the stuff on her own. Like, I would have to give that much supervision to her. But with a guy, like, I need to make sure that he's staying away from this thing and staying from that thing, being Muslim, praying five times a day, to remind him constantly. She thinks it's a very, like, guy-specific phenomenon. I, mm. I, I think it goes for both genders. Uh, but okay. I've never, unfortunately, my mom, my mom has not had the blessing of having a daughter. So three boys. Uh, uh, but anyway, so I was raised on house arrest. So essentially, I... Went to, I went to school, I went. I came home, and the first time I did extracurriculars was a sophomore year of high school. So that was the first time I had left um, a state after school and did stuff. Uh, and that started with both Red Cross and also sports because I played volleyball in high school. So those were the two biggest things that kept me after school consistently on a regular basis that caused me to stay after school. Um, and yes, there were there were problems with that as well. Like, I'm, I'm glad my mom, like, looking back now, I'm glad my mom was so much more protective of me back then because I think the younger you are, the more impressionable you are. That's just human biology. Um, so I was very impressionable to the people that were around me. So once again, like I was talking, like I was talking about, like I, I was, I never had a friend group, but I was a floater who like floated around with a lot of different things just because of the nature of the stuff that I did was very varied. Um, so with my like sports friends, like they're all guys, they're all playing sports. Uh, volleyball might not be that big in Toronto, but it's very big in um, Southern California, especially, uh, especially guys volleyball. Like it's something with like basketball, like people will go to like see those games uh, in high school and in college, at the college level now. So it was a sport, which means that the guys were a little bit macho, a little bit, you know, guys, uh, locker room banter, that yep. kind of stuff. Interesting. So not not always the best um, environment to be a Muslim and not, not the easiest environment to be Muslim in. And then on the Red Cross side, um, my Red Cross team was very, uh, a lot of touchy-feely stuff. So a lot of emotion, which is good stuff, which is like, well, not, not like touchy-touchy, like people touching you, which, I mean, that happens to like the whole hugging stuff we talk about. That's a whole other conversation though. Um, but like, there's a lot about emotions, a lot about uh, understanding your place in the world, that kind of stuff. We did a lot of leadership development. So that's part of our leadership development, which is good, but it can, it borders, when you get too touchy feely sometimes, it borders into some things that might, you might not want to talk about, some things that uh, you sh- maybe shouldn't be that open with, with random strangers, you know? So that's all that. Uh, but that's just personally for me. Like I know, I know definitely people who can like talk about their emotions and like, keep certain things in check and like not talk about certain things with random strangers but i just think that the culture and the way i fit into that culture was like that so but yeah uh that's how it is and then when it comes to islam which is the question that you asked which i haven't answered yet i'm sorry uh when it comes to islam uh my my mom would tell me things like she also loves to study islam so she would enroll in classes online she she still does <laughs> quran class every night online alhamdulillah um she's very strict on me about the quran in the sense that she in not strict in the sense that most people would think uh, would be strict. Most people would think your mom, most brown moms uh, that are strict about the Quran or strict about need to finish the Quran by this age and become a hafiz and recite as much as possible and just recite really fast and like know all the stuff. Uh, my mom was always that. She was like, I don't care if you only read an ayah for the rest of your life, that ayah better sound perfect and the maharaj and the tajweed better be correct. Mm. She's like, I don't care if you read one word, but, but if you say it correctly, there's more hasanat in that than you reading all the whole Quran incorrectly. Mm. So I, I, Went to Quran classes, but not too much. Um, your mom was your teacher. Yeah, my mom was. My mom didn't want to be my teacher, so she would try to find me classes that were online because she believed that, like, she was also learning. So she believed if I learned from her, then like my makhari and the would be correct. So she wanted me to learn from 
uh, teachers who are proficient in Arabic. Um, but the thing is, like, in addition to that, where was I going? Sorry, drop me one second. Trans this is my train of thought. Your Quran. A Quran. Uh, so that, that was the Quran side. And then when it came to the Sunday school, about all that Islamic education side, I don't know why my parents didn't enroll me in Sunday school as much as other kids were. Uh, could have been finances. Uh, that's totally a valid quite a reason. Islamic school is expensive. I don't think most people realize that, uh, especially when you grow up in California. It's very expensive. Uh, so that could have been a reason why. Uh, maybe it's also because like they're just uh, Islamic schools are also very varied. I don't think my parents had the time to sort of look into whether the values being taught were correct or how what was management like, all that kind of stuff. So I never went to Sunday school, but I learned from my mom. She was to a lot of lectures. And then uh, one thing we talk about on a podcast when it comes to my journey in Islam is the whole reason, uh, the whole way I got into Islamic education and learning about Islamic studies was because I love public speaking. Um, I was in, another brag, I was in speech and debate, alhamdulillah. Um, I don't know if I can hate Neza from this podcast. <laughs> Everyone say mashallah, please. <laughs> so I was in speech and debate and I love public speaking, but I wanted to, and I was really enamored by the khatibs that were really good at what they do and the way they conveyed certain messages, certain really strong and controversial and Messages that to the youth would sound very, might, might sound extreme to the sense of like, oh, like everything, everything is haram. Uh, but there were khatibs who would be able to convey that in a very nuanced way that really hit my heart and did not make me feel like, oh, everything's haram, I'm living such a hard life. And I wanted to be like those khatibs. So I would listen to all, I'm going on a whole YouTube rabbit hole, uh, pretty much every Ramadan, probably every every day of Ramadan. And the last 10 nights, because uh, for staying up for Laylatul Qadr, uh, my mom would like, that was like the one time my mom would let me pull all-nighters, unless it was for like academic reasons, sometimes she would let me, but like that was the that was like the biggest time my mom would let me pull as like many all-nighters as I wanted. So I'd pull all-nighters, I'd like go down a whole YouTube rabbit hole all night uh, and then watch a bunch of like the 30-day videos that like a lot of uh, institutions put out. I would listen to old lectures from like different um, speakers, uh, especially Mufti Mink, my favorite. So anyway, uh, overall, holistically, my view of Islam was, it was, it was good. I think I think I myself had to like parse through different pieces of information and then connect it out with my secular studies. Uh, it's just a process that I went through. And if I had any questions, I'd go to my mom. But there were definitely things that were that were a little hard to understand. I think like things things that you see in society, things like dating. Uh, everyone's dating in high school. Uh, everyone's has a girlfriend, and then they have a new girlfriend two days later, or a new boyfriend two days later, and then stuff like that. And uh, and they seem happy. Like that's the thing. Like they seem happy because. They weren't my friends, right? So I didn't have any personal friends. So I didn't know the emotional trauma that they were going through. All I saw was the popularity that they were getting, all the people that were talking about, all the people were like, oh, they're so cool, they're so cute, or like all that kind of stuff. So when it came to that, that was, that was, I knew, I knew it was wrong, but it was also like enticing in the sense, you know, so. Yeah, you're nuts. I get that. Um, I can write a whole biography book <laughs> from you guys, 30 minutes in. <laughs> um, but thank you. Thank you for your answers. Um, so this one's kind of for laughs, but I also want to analyze this thing that hopefully you guys have the answer to. And that is, why is it when maybe young women look into marriage and they see their options and they see a man who's maybe religious and pious and he's close with his dean, you step a little closer, all you see is that he's just a preacher, he doesn't practice what he preaches. Where do we fail our young men to actually practice what they preach? Hopefully, you're closer with the brothers in uh, the Muslim community where you can I, dissect that, diagnose that. I don't know. Yeah. So, three things before we start on that. First of all, we can extend this podcast if you want to. You can always send a new link if you record that. Sure. Um, and then you can cut and play with whatever. You can make two parts if you want to. Um, the second thing is... Um, disclaimer. Yeah. So, it's a very big question. And question. two things, we don't have the answer, and we can only answer in the perspective of us two, Yes. and from the guy's perspective. Guys, that we've been around, which is a very small sample size. Yeah, but fully really just talking about us from our perspective. Because, yes. um, yeah, I agree with you, um, 100%. So, where do I start? Um, I start with also the other disclaimer that like I mean this is another podcast for something from our podcast we're gonna inject onto your podcast unfortunately just yeah. because we're talking about collab this. I love it. <laughs> um, we are not Islamic scholars. Uh, maybe inshallah one day we will be if we keep trying to do that go on that track. Um, but we're not Islamic scholars. Everything that we talk about on our podcast and that we're talking about your podcast right now is directly from our experience yeah. and our experience 
both ourselves and the critical analysis, critical thinking that we've done, reflecting on ourselves that, to the best of our ability, alhamdulillah. Uh, but also the experiences that we've had with other people, other Muslim, which for me is very short-lived. It's only been for two years in college. It's been three years and maybe other, I don't know how many Muslim oh, with Muslims. Yeah, with other Muslim guys. How much have you interacted with them before this? Probably. Muslim guys, like eight years or nine years, but like cognizantly, like three years. Yeah, like, so we have very limited experiences because, yeah. of the, because of the regions that we grew up in. Like there's not that many... Muslim guys, especially Muslim guys that are willing to talk about topics like this. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. That's, that's another thing. Yeah. 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 So, so that's like, that's literally college is the first time we talk about this. Yeah. And we're both pretty young, I yeah. think. Uh, but I do know where to start. So, so but the last thing I want to add is that everything comes from our experience. And this is just us contextualizing our experiences and sort of like the frame thought processes that we're going through. Yeah. Go for it. So there's a lot of different like ways to also like view this, right? So you have guys who say something. Uh, like this is this is my experience okay so at a certain point in my life i was saying things but i wasn't doing it right that's just hypocrisy right and if you want to learn like the entire it's a type of hypocrisy not islamic hypocrisy it's a it's the secular version of the word hypocrisy not a munafiq. yeah yeah it's not a monophic it it's could a, be a sign of a monophic, but an american definition basically you're saying something but you're not actually doing it right like in this case so um like i feel like that is kind of what you're talking about is like someone who preaches like talk to talk but in a walk to walk kind of thing you know and um i can talk about it from that perspective but i do want to highlight there's another perspective of people who will say something will also admit they're not there yet and will try to improve on it and that's a good thing to have so like for example there's a lot of things like i think like a year ago i started saying like i started talking about how music was bad right like how there's like certain things about it that aren't that great and um uh, how I wanted to like kind of reduce it. Now at that time I hadn't stopped listening to music, right? I was still listening to music, and also there's different levels, obviously, of music like you know rap music and like music that explicit, continues explicit, explicit language and explicit concepts and the, like theologies like that. Yeah, yeah, that. But that's definitely like something you want to stop first, rather than just like stopping. Like if you're listening to like if you're listening to a wide range of musics, it's like it's easier to taper down stuff like in scale and hierarchy, harm reduction, rather than completely removing anything at once because that's going cold turkey and that's really hard. Yeah. But my point being is I talked like, oh, this is something I want to quit. I want to stop. But I wasn't there yet. And so then and like two, three months in, things started getting diluted. And I think like now it's been about like six months, six months that I probably haven't like put on a single song. So it's like, you know, like that's a good thing. So I think people need to be able to distinguish that is like in a say case of marriage is like, is this guy, is he just like talking for talk and then hide everything else? Or is he like, talking so he can like get it verbalized so he can start believing in himself because the more you say it right like the more you kind of like also like are able to like understand that like, this is who i am right like you're like this is what i do this is who i am i'm not there yet but i'm gonna get there mm -hmm. so that's something that's but coming back to it if if you're someone like like at least in my perspective like there was a point in my like life where i was like hey like yeah i'm muslim and um i pray five times a day and then in reality i wasn't hitting all my five prayers or i wasn't trying to Right. So that's more important. I wasn't trying to hit all my five prayers um, intentionally. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I wasn't like, I, I was like saying something that I wasn't like doing. And there were two reasons to it. One was because I didn't want other people to know the truth about me. So that was one thing. Right. I wanted to come off as better than I actually am. And then the second thing was um, like, I felt pressure. Like, I was like, Oh, like when I started, when I did start, like this is the point of time when I'm trying to accept Islam and I'm trying to be like, I do want to be Muslim. I was like automatically feeling like I had to be pressured to be a perfect Muslim also. Mm -hmm. And by perfect, what I mean specifically is like at least get the five pillars down or at least the pillars I can control, which is like the first foremost was prayer, right? So I felt that pressure of like, oh, I have to be perfect. So I'm just going to say I am. And then, you know, behind the scenes, it's okay, whatever, right? But my, like my, my view on it was wrong. It should have been yeah, I'm working on this right now and I'm trying to get there and then admitting this is the truth, this is what we're supposed to be doing, but I'm not there yet, right? And obviously not to verbalize everyone, but if you're in like going into marriage and stuff, like you want to like be a bit more transparent about where you are in life. So um, I think for guys, right, those are the, like, at least for me as a guy, those are the two big things is I wanted to come off as better as I truly am. And the second thing was I, I felt pressure because do, guys do feel pressure. Like we have this like at least in, like, and to my understanding, even in Islamic context, 
you're supposed to be someone who can protect, who can provide, who can be financially stable, and a lot of other things. So some guys, especially guys who are Muslim, will feel pressured like, oh, I have to be those things before I go into marriage, and therefore I'm going to say like, yeah, I am, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other side, the ego can play into it, where it's like, yeah, now you're saying that um, you're something that you're not. So those are the two things I kind of distilled, like, like um, from my perception of why I was saying things without actually acting on them. And then learning how to adapt that to the point where I'm at now, where it's like, I admit what the truth is. I admit what we're supposed to be doing as Muslims, or maybe as like, even like in secular studies, like I want to be an all-A student, but I'm not there yet because I don't have these habits, right? So starting to implement that in all your aspects of your life. But that's where you want to be, or at least that's where I wanted to be. And I think that's a pretty healthy region to be in, where it's like, you know, you know exactly what you're shooting for, but you admit where you're at or currently. And um, that's like also something that would be useful for marriage, where you're like, yeah, this is where I'm trying to go. And I, I'm, I'm honest about this is what I'm trying to do. Because you don't realize a lot of people don't say that when they're getting married. They're not like talking about like where I want to be, right? Where I want you to push me to be. So that's kind of the general gist is... I think you hit the nail. I think if I can pick one point, because I was talking about the individuals that kind of hide their identity and want to be seen as something. I think it's really about marriage, and I think it's about getting the girl and impressing the girl and the family. That's, like, I understand there's a lot of pressure, but, like, I I feel like that's where we're we're struggling to teach uh, our sons and young Yeah. Yeah, on that note, also, like, actually, you, wanna, you can interject on that because I think you have a better point than me. The, the point I want, the, there's one other point I want to add to that is also the publicis, the publicization, what if that's even a word, but making public sins. Uh, so, oh, sinization? Sinization. Keep going. The publication of sins, that's yeah. the word. Uh, the publication of sins. So, obviously, as Muslims, we don't want to just go around telling people our sins. Um, so, the, the thing I want to do is obviously like define the word preach. First of all, if someone is, so say someone is talking with other brothers and is telling them, oh, like this is what's right, this is what's wrong. But if they if they're doing that in a way to make themselves morally superior to one other person, then yeah, that is wrong. Yeah, you shouldn't say I am better than you because I know these things. Yeah, or that I or saying that with a with a tone of arrogance. That's arrogance playing, is also sin. That's playing into the whole like using like. That your ego, like yeah, so we, we, weaponizing, 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 weaponizing Islamic principles yeah. Yeah. for your own personal gain, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously that is wrong. But it's it's also important to note that the nuances, because one other thing I realized, especially around this whole marriage talk, I, I'm now only 19, so obviously I've been in this like marriage, learning about marriage, all this kind of stuff very recently. But one thing I've noticed is, uh, especially when people are advising each other for marriage or like how to be for marriage, there's a lot of there's a lot of blanket statements being made, especially when it comes to certain characteristics, like. Uh, this group of people is like this, or like there are a group of people who are like this. There are a group of guys who are like this, or a group of guys. The thing is, every human being is nuanced. It's a very, understanding that the human experience is very nuanced is really important for this because no one is going to have the exact same sort of scorecard of sins or good deeds as another person. And obviously, in addition to that scorecard, there's also the personality of that person. There's the way the person works towards him. The, the priorities of that on that scorecard are different as well. Yeah. So, before we take before we take into account like yes someone might be preaching something uh but not following it it's also what is their mindset towards that preaching is that preaching done in a way of arrogance is that preaching done towards a way of being like i am a uh, bro like i'm a i'm a college student but i'm, I'm your mufti now like yeah. if, if if it's that way then yeah that's 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 wrong but if it's in a way that it's if, if you as a woman are seeing a guy with another group of guys talking about certain islamic topics um which we do at the U.S. all the time. All the guys do. We all talk to each other about topics. We have discussions. And sometimes, like, obviously, women, it's, it's a public room, so women are coming in and out, uh, things like that. Uh, but the thing is, like, if, if, you see, if you see guys talking about these long topics and then maybe you meet them, which is also the other distinction I want to draw, is when, when it comes to telling people someone else your sins, things that are done in public versus things that are done under the sort of sanctity or the privilege of getting, some, getting to know someone for marriage are very different. Like, yes, someone might be not publicizing their sins, yeah. but there's a difference between publicization and lies as well. But if, they, if they're just omitting something, that's different than being like, hey, I pray five times a day, I don't miss a single prayer, versus being like, uh, I try to pray five times a day, inshallah. Like, that's, those, those are two very different statements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once you're under sort of the, the it's like attorney-client privilege or like doctor-patient confidentiality, it's the same way. Like, there, there's a sort of a privilege when it comes to you getting to know someone for marriage, and those things shouldn't be shared outside of that 
that sanctity in that poll. So if you're just getting to know someone and they mention something, then obviously like that's them being vulnerable to you or and whichever person, the woman to the man or the man to the woman, that's that person is being vulnerable to you and telling that and telling you that this is a sin that I deal with. And if they say I'm working on it, then that's a that's a green flag in our yeah. in our terminology. When we say I'm working on it also, it shouldn't just be the words I'm working on yeah, it. Yeah. Like, there should be an action plan. There should be an yeah, action, action plan. plan. Be talking what about are you whatever. doing in order to achieve yeah, that? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't pay for anything, but I'm working on it. Right? I don't want guys to hear this and just be like, hey, I'm, I have this sin, but I'm working on it. That's just like, on it. Like, yeah. just throw it should be like, what are you doing, okay. right? So, yeah. like, yeah. two biggest things that I've seen in guys, like, nowadays, um, so this is what I've been talking to my sheikh about, and he's like, a lot of guys approach me about this. And it's very, like, simple. It's like, a lot of guys deal with, like, pornography issues nowadays, right? So, it's like, oh, we're going there. Okay. Yeah. Go. No, but no, I'm not going there. But all I'm saying, <laughs> all I'm saying is that the sheikh is like, this is something you need to handle, and you need an action plan. So, they need you get, like, yeah, in touch with the psychologist and yeah. people who like to help. So this is a guy who honestly wants to stop that before mm-hmm. getting married, right? And um, so first of all, you shouldn't be going into marriage if he's got that problem. But if he is, then, you know, like, you need to be able to say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, this was the reason why I'm in it. Like, he needs to diagnose all the aspects of it. So if you're going to say, I'm working on it, you have to understand why you weren't doing it before. What are you doing currently right now? Where do you plan to be, right? So with prayer, that's something that can be applied to that. It can be applied to like, the pornography stuff, anything. Not going that far detail into anything, yeah. but that's what the general gist is like. You, you actually need to be working on. It. Yeah. All right. Thank you for taking on that question. I know it was a tough one, and I love how you covered all sorts of angles in that. Um, question: Why do you think so many young adults are running back to Islam, specifically in North America and Europe, not maybe back home? Because we can see that like they're kind of going towards the dunya, while we're kind of chasing after our deen and. Um, almost more like more than our parents were pressuring us to practice Islam and our deen. If I might add before you guys answer, the one answer, one reason for me was that I knew the way that Islam was displayed, whether through media, through the Muslim community, aunts, uncles, I knew that wasn't Islam. I knew it was culture. I knew it was pressure. I knew it was using Islam to their favor and their um, the way the lifestyle they want us to live for example I know within Islam I know this is a sensitive one hitting your children is totally permissible under these grounds which is a long list but our community dismisses all of that and says we're allowed to hit you it's within Islam so I, I took that and that was like my Islam beginning of my Islamic journey and like coming close to my deen because I knew that is not my Islam. That is not the way that I, I know Adhan, and I know that is not what he's going to allow. So studied that and that's how I started it. Why do you think that there is this sudden urge of young adults running towards Islam? Okay, I have the first thing. First right. thing I don't think there is. And I think it's a perception of media that does that. Because um, get this, Islam has been around for millions of years, right? There's always been millions of Muslims, right? Billions of Muslims. Why do? Why are we under the perception? And this is my perception of it. And I think um, this is something also that I've learned, like talking to sheikhs and, um, and scholars as well. Is it's dramatized, Loki? Because we're on media. You got a couple of Muslim influencers, you know. What are we at right now? Also, social media is a very recent phenomenon. Yeah, it's so, a very phenomenon. By the way, know that these people are coming to Islam. It's right. Like a big thing. So the thing is, like, we, we never really, you didn't really know, like, all these other people who are running back to Islam before social media was around. Before Our parents, it's not that our parents were in a different generation. Like, I have friends who live here. They just didn't know. Like, they didn't see it. You only saw your community. And think about it. A lot of times we're more vulnerable on social media than we are within our own local community. Right. And that's actually a good thing in some cases, because it's like you hone in your sins a little bit more. You're a bit more conscious about what you put out there, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so. Um, like when me and Badr Dean, for example, create content, people may look at us and this is exactly what the niche topic I was talking about was they're like, oh, these guys are running back to Islam. Like, mashallah, like they had to struggle. And I'm like, you know, I wake up in the morning, I go to the gym for an hour go to school, I do my biology research. Yeah, like I, I make some abadah throughout the day. And yeah, I'm doing it in the pursuit of Allah now, right? But why do you think I'm running back to Islam? Like, why do you think, where do you, where do you have that perception? Now, that might be true, right? Like in my case, I'm fully more spiritual than I've ever been in my life. I wake up, like, this is my personal um, thing. I wake up and I'm like, wow, I'm so glad to be alive. Ya Allah, thank you for letting me wake up, right? And that's a very like run back kind of vibe. 
But how, how would you know that, right? Because it's just what your perception on that social media is. And I don't go telling around my friends that, though, when I'm here, for example, right? They don't just see the College Muslim podcast. They don't just see... I think it's the last thing they see when they look at us. Yeah, at least the one honestly, that USC, because the last they, they see, see us as pre-med majors who are really focused on, like, school stuff. And so the Islam is... The, the, what I'm getting to is the Islam is inside of me, right? And so I am running back to it, but inside of me. And my local surrounding doesn't see that, but that niche online sees that. And this whole concept that, oh my God, so many guys or so many girls and guys are now running back to Islam in Western is just these Muslim influencers who are starting to saturate a market that wasn't predominantly Muslim before, right? And this is my perception because I talked to a, um, one of my friends. He's not a scholar. He's in an Alim program. So that's like a scholarly program. It's a scholar program. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like a scholar student. Yeah, he's in third or fourth year right now. And we were talking about that. And it was like, uh, that was like kind of what we settled on too, was like, that's kind of where it kind of like drives from is like, it's always been there. People have always run back to Allah SWT from all sorts of avenues and all sorts of aspects. People in like countries, um, like we have, we have family friends in, um, we're not in countries, we're just back to the 60s with the 60s, whole civil yeah. rights movement. But there were a lot of uh, African-American black Muslims who, came, yeah. who converted to Islam and there's a whole movement for that. Yes, there were problems with that as well. And we don't need to get into the whole geopolitical thing, geopolitical implications of that. But at the end of the day, hardship usually leads us back to God. Yeah, things in like, for other words, in Syria, like we have friends, uh, family friends in Syria, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, they, they, some of them, like, you know, we saw a perception of them getting closer back to Islam, like, just by talking to them, right? And it was really giving der- and derived from that hardship, right? So the thing is, people have been running back to, like, Islam for the longest time ever. This whole idea that the West is now, like, super running back, it's not like people in Pakistan run back the same. I have friends, like, personal friends in Pakistan. They come back just the same. So it's like, I think I think a lot of it. Like I'm not completely invalidating that. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe if you were to do a study, you would find maybe just hypothetically speaking that a lot more Muslims are coming to Islam from America and the West. But in reality, it's your perception. And it's also the people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. So I surround myself with primarily now people like Badruddin, another friend, Omar Wasim. Have a couple other friends um, here and there, and those guys all are in my like in, or in this context are running back to Islam, right? And that makes me seem like, oh, wow, there's so many Muslim guys. I'm, that's not true, though, So in my local setting. So yeah. it's just what yeah. I choose to position myself in. So I'm not trying to invalidate the entire, like, perception, but it's important to, like, look at it from all aspects. But the other thing is that, like, not everyone is running back to Islam. They're just showing their Islam now. Mm-hmm. I think that's also one of the reasons why, like, I like being on this podcast is because I think my Islam has, it obviously has changed. Like, I'm always growing every single day, but, like, my beliefs to a certain extent haven't changed much from high school until now. And the biggest reason is the biggest reason now, like people think that I'm running back to Islam when I meet some people is because there's no social media back then. And also back then I was, I was struggling to keep those beliefs. I was, it was like a tug of war in my head. Um, and that, that kind of tug of war at that point, it's hard to show other people your Islam. And that's why our last episode, uh, embracing Islamic, embracing a Muslim identity or Islamic identity that the identity comes in phases. And only at the last stage of that phase do you see people projecting and showing their uh, their Islamic identity. And that's and at that point you think, oh, now everyone's running back to Islam. But honestly, it could have been a multi-year journey or it could have been that they had the beliefs at the beginning, but now they're just showing it to the people. And that's that's a function of social media. It's a function of our modernized society in the sense that yeah. we are able to show our identities online. And it's important because then you're starting, like, that's why we do it is because we want to show that identity because it's like, if we can show it, other people will follow suit, right? Because especially in a market that, imagine if there were zero Muslim content creators, right? Like a lot of Muftis will bag sometimes on content creators and be like, you know, not they're all, not all great, which is true. You know, like you have to like see, like, am I following the right person? Are they doing it for the right intentions, et cetera, et cetera. And that's going to be your own um, common sense. Perfect. Yeah, you know, they're, not, they're, not, they're not perfect, which is something you have to emphasize, right? But in our opinion, and in a lot of Sheikh's opinion, which is why they're on, like a lot of them are on social media now too, right? Like the biggest one is like one of it, like uh, Imam Umar Suleiman, Mufti Mank. These guys have millions of followers. Why are they doing it? It's because it's a platform that can be used for the purpose of good in an Islamic context. So it's just, um, I think it is somewhat of a bit of a, maybe over-exaggeration that can occur that people are like, yeah, like we're really, people really be running back. I do want to address the, the second part of that question though. It's like you said, um, in America and the Western society, like yeah. you see a lot of Muslims running back to Islam, but then uh, in, in other countries on the East, you might, you might, it might seem that people are running away from Islam. But I think that's, that's not the people, that's just the culture. And that is due to political and economic influences yeah. of the West on uh, the East. And because of, literally just take the World Cup, literally a couple 
months ago or a month ago, I don't know how long it's been, but the World Cup, like there were so many geopolitical implications on Qatar, which is a much more modernized society than uh, compared to the very, the, the East East, like talking about like India, Pakistan, that yeah. kind of area, the Middle East. Um, but even then there were, there were obviously a lot of scrutiny on that, which is right. So there are, there are problems, there are problems with any, any country, there are problems with that country, but the, the culture around these is becoming more westernized, which it, which is the correct, which is, I think the correct term, but like it's con not, it's contextualized publicly as being becoming modernized and that modern mm -hmm. society is just conforming to different ideals. And that's why you think that everyone there is running away from this time in general, it's probably just the government or the businesses or the overall like economy is going that way. You guys should uh, write a book. Um. <laughs> oh, last thing. I do have friends in Pakistan. I do have friends in America, and um, the my friends in Pakistan don't really emphasize their Islam. And I don't think I think it's because they don't, don't need, need to. to. Yeah, like hair. Like I need to make it known that I'm a Muslim. Like that and is that my I'm growing and that I'm learning and that I yeah. And I have to make that on my identity, even my non-Muslim friends, because otherwise I'll forget it. Mm -hmm. Like that's the issue. Like if I just hang out with a bunch of non-Muslims all day, which you know I have plenty of friends who are non-Muslim, I treat them with respect. But if I wasn't to keep my uh, Islamic identity like fresh in like their minds or in their heads, et cetera, et cetera, they'd forget. <laughs> they'd forget. I'd forget. I'd start doing things that they might do, right? So it's, an, it's a level of accountability. And I know this is personal experience. And then my friends in Pakistan, um, two of our close friends, they were actually born in America, went back to Pakistan. They don't do that as much and they don't bring it up as much. And when I hang out with them, sometimes I like after a couple of days, I stop bringing it up too. But there's a common binding. As soon as it hits us our time, like we're up, like we're going, right? And it's like, I've never seen guys, like in my opinion, who are as resilient in their faith as them. But it's more like, you know, they're Muslim. That's their core identity. And then they do everything else. But they do it in a way that, you know, like there's a form of ibadah in it, right? right. There's a kind of view to it. And I think that's another helpful thing is when you're surrounded by a lot of Muslims and your country is Pakistan and it's 99% Muslim, like you're not going to have to publicize it and show that you're running back to it or you're having like a really, really deep infrastructure. Because infrastructure is there. All your friends are Muslim. And yes, and so yes there, are problems. Very, yeah, there, there are problems, problems as well. Yeah. But the, the thing is like people don't see the need to highlight those problems. Or if the problems do happen, they might be highlighted by social media, but the good stuff isn't highlighted because it's normalized and that's the, yeah. the norm there. So, so that's a very complicated answer to that. Yeah. No, thank you. It's, 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 it's a complicated issue. I think the reason, and I changed my perspective on that after you shared that in-depth answer, um, but the reason why I think I had that perspective to begin with was because I was just discussing with my mom the same uh, topic about how um, the young, like 15-year-olds, they're just like, they want to understand the Quran, the meaning of it, not just memorize it. And examples like that, while when she was growing up, it was more of an elders culture kind of thing. That's the culture, not the religion. Um, so she also saw that shift, maybe just because of our surroundings, that's what we observed. And another thing is how my mom and I, we go back home, we visit family, but we don't feel Muslim when we go back home. We feel Muslim in Canada. We, our Islamic or Muslim identity is so much more like intense here in a positive way. Like it's, I, I feel almost like a minority there. I feel like I'm supposed to minimize myself and make myself smaller and not pray on time and like let the music play at the on time. Like it, it that I don't feel that pressure here in Canada, strangely enough. Um, I, I feel like I'm allowed to be Muslim in a way. And that sounds so bad. That sounds so bad for an Islamic country like Pakistan. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but it just highlights this that exactly perfectly highlights how all three of us have had different experiences with it. And that's what like signifies that nuances are really, really important. And like how people each, are people. Yeah, people are people and how each culture has its downsides. Like if you want to generalize it just for the sake of like kind of understanding the context we're talking about, you can generalize what you just shared just based on what you shared. I can just say that, oh, they might not be like, you know, going back home does not make me fully appreciate Islam. Whereas being in America, Islam is like really like rare and then I need to like, you can just make generalizations. And the yeah. point I'm making generalizations for is just to express and show that literally every culture, and when I mean culture, I don't mean necessarily just um, like uh, ethnic culture. I also mean like geographic culture. I mean like location, like not uh, that is geographic, but like all these different cultures related, geographic based, ethnically based, um, familially, right? Because different families have different cultures, right? Like relationship cultures. So they all influence Islam, right? And so, um, it's, like, it's important to note that is like there's going to be problems everywhere and the trick is finding like this is this is something that i think is universal is finding islam 
a personal sense that is not wavering dependent on the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool thing about Islam. It, it can be applied. If it can be applied, not saying it will always be applied, but it can be applied in any single aspect, any place on the earth, right? So learning how to incorporate Islam into your life, so regardless of where it goes, it stays dominant, is the most important thing. And like my personal thing, just one thing on that, that really helped me is realizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is something we talked about in our last podcast also, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes first, and then he enables you to do everything else, right? He He's like the enabler of all things. So this is something, the uh, right? Without there Allah There's no movement or nor power without Allah. Right? So it's like, once I understood that, I don't care where I go. Like, I go to Pakistan all the time, and yeah, it's true. Like, a lot of the people there, like, uh, the zan will go off. They won't stop, and they won't listen, right? And so, like, the thing is, like, that's the thing you but I mean, if they don't, I don't care. I'm going to stop where I'm in. I'm going to listen. And why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still with me. Like, there's no one else there who matters. So, um, yeah, like, that's, that's, it's like, a, it's like, it's like, you gotta, you gotta experiment with it. And you gotta, like, figure out how to incorporate it in a way that it's devoid of where you are. And it's more about, like, what you find prioritized that's important. So, And it's easier in a Western society because we constantly have to fight for our place to be here to a yes. certain extent. Yeah. And therefore, and therefore, we emphasize the minutia of Islam yeah. more frequently than we need, than the people back in Muslim yeah. countries need to do. Yeah. Because the, the big stuff is already set in stone for them. So they're like, I'm hitting my five daily prayers. I'm uh, fasting from Ramadan. Whether whether my fast may be perfect or whether, my, whether I'm pausing my music or my stuff during the Adan, like those are the minutia that we as Americans or Canadians need to take more heed to because of the fact that everyone else around us is the, uh, sort of not, it's not that they're not allowing us to practice our religion, but it's not as easy to practice our religion because of the way that the rest of culture is. So we dive deeper into our culture versus there, the culture is Islam. And so people don't feel the need to dive as deep into their culture versus unless they're becoming an alim, unless they go through some hardship, then they might do that. It but, comes back yeah. to the whole thing about human beings will always find something to survive off. And to us, we feel like we're surviving and we're yeah. fighting for survival when we embrace Islam in West. At and, least I, I and they have that. different problems too. Yeah. So like our problem is like being Muslim. Their problem is like putting food on the table. Maybe and that's not like that. That's so. not for the entire country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, no. This is but this is like within the context. The problems are different. Yeah, this is like with, like addressing the stereotype that we said. Um, but obviously, every single individual. Again, we're big fans of nuance. Very <laughs> nuance. No, it's oh. great. I mean. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about Islam. It's so individualistic and personalized. And I hope no one takes that and uses it against me in a way where, well, it's personalized, better, right? It's, yeah, it's referring to a better way. It's like Islam, you can achieve it and you can, uh, people will have to like navigate in different ways. They might have to do with different problems to get the same result, which is, you know. I like that better. <laughs> I like that so much better. Yeah, but, but, you know. It is just like this one truth that exists. Yeah. And so it's not personalized, but it is like, Aswanthala has made so many avenues for each person individually so that anyone can find their way to it. They don't have to follow like, uh, some of them might have to do with different like problems, but the idea is you are gonna be given what you specifically can handle. And if you choose to go down that track, it's like kind of like a mission. Like Aswanthala has given you that mission. He's giving you all the steps. It's now your thing to, and that's the personalization aspect of it is like, you're being taken care of as an individual. Mm -hmm. So different people, different problems. Different people, different problems. Yes. So you're waiting for when you how us. So I have a four percent on my laptop, and I have like six more questions. I love the conversation, but I think we're gonna have to answer them briefly. Like, okay, you can do that. Yeah. 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 Okay. You can answer it briefly, or if you do want to do a second part, we're okay with. Yeah, we have time. Unless you're. I don't have an. I'm recording in my closet, as you can see the bad lighting. This is my light source, um, so I don't have an outlet in here, and that's why. Otherwise, I would have totally taken up that offer. But um, yeah, I'll just continue. Yeah, you can continue. Yeah, right. and again, I think you schedule another time and in the future for part two. Inshallah, always... yeah, totally. I would love that. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I know the three of us uh, have been like in the Muslim community and absorbed and observed. Um, the, with the dynamic of it and how uncles and aunties are and just how we all like mesh but I'm not so involved with the brotherhood side of it because um, being a woman and my brother he's like 10 years older than me so I don't really know what goes on in there I just wanted to know real quick the dynamic between the brothers in Islam like in the Muslim community is it a positive one is it toxic do you guys push each other to be better what does that look like 
simple answer. You get what you like, what you're looking for. Okay. So it's like, that's the shortest answer. It's like, yeah, both sides. we're all human. You're, it's going to be the same for like other faiths and other people, maybe even secular and agnostic people. You pick your friends, right? Yeah. How do you pick your friends? Based on certain values. Mm -hmm. You choose pick what those values are. Yeah. People, so, yeah, people are doing that just because someone else is Muslim that they're going to share the exact same values as you. And yeah. yes, it, it is good to have Muslim friends, but just as you would choose a friend that is non-Muslim that aligns best with your beliefs and that is not too wild in the sense of like too far from what you want to yeah. do, you got to do the same thing with Muslims. Like Muslim, Muslims are still people. Like they're, they, they might believe in the Shahada, but they're still people and you have to still use the same mechanisms of choosing friends mm -hmm. as you would not. Yeah, Muslim. Islam is very big on like practicality, right? Which is why when you're getting married, like you do, or married or picking friends, you yeah. should be looking at other values. The laws are more The laws are things that like you should choose your friends the same way you choose your wife. Yeah. Like you should be just as picky no. yeah um so we talked a lot about um the reason why you started this podcast what the podcast is about i want to talk about a rebrand that happened sort of you guys kind of mixed with an what happened to that okay that's just that's, that's just, just that's a quick, yeah, yeah that's a quick answer it was just logistical it was like we decided to merge with the inspired muslim initiative which were like five guys from um georgia georgia it's yeah yeah Atlanta, Georgia, and um, we merged for a little bit, and then we just kind of like realized like we kind of have different missions, and so then we just like disbanded, and I think they're still making content as far yeah, as I'm aware. And then, yeah, but it was just like a brief thing, and it just different missions, different modes, just, yeah, different yeah. modes of communication too. Okay. Yeah, we're a podcast. That's what we focus on. They're more of like a media. They're news. more like media news, and we wanted to center really on Islamic uh, experience, experience, mm. and kind of covering a lot of bases.